Good to welcome you, for those of you in the room, for those of you who are watching online, you as well, or in the Moon Campus or the classic venue. Good to have our congregation listening together, even in different places and at different times, just to be able to focus together on what the Lord is doing in us and how He is leading us. With trick-or-treating being just right around the corner, I wanted to tell you a story of something happened that happened at this same time last year. There was a couple that wasn't going to be home on the night of trick-or-treating, but they didn't want to be the only house in the neighborhood that wasn't giving candy to the kids. And so out on the porch, they set a huge bowl of candy with a little sign that said, take one, please. And then they left and went on their way. And the doorbell camera would later show them that that went pretty well for the first princess or two or the first superhero or two that came by, but pretty soon something different happened. What do you think happened? Tell me. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed actually that all of your minds went so quickly to take all the candy. I mean, I never would have thought about that, but uh, apparently that's where all of, your, all of your minds are. All right, well, actually, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. A, about a 10-year-old boy shows up. He sees this huge bowl of candy, kind of looks around. Nobody's there. And so he takes and he dumps the entire thing into his pillowcase. And off he goes with the triumphant, yes. Meanwhile, in another city on the very same night, There was a girl, a 12-year-old girl, Christina Kalman was her name. She came up onto a porch and encountered the exact same situation. Only in her case, the bowl that she found there was completely empty. And so what she did is she took candy out of her own bag and she put it in and filled up the, the bowl, saying later that she didn't want any kids to come by and not be able to get candy. None of you thought of that, though, did you, except one person over here? Yeah, all right. No, I'm just teasing you with that because I pretty much probably know kind of where your mind is. Where, which of those kids would you rather be, right? Which of those kids would you rather be? Even though the boy got all of that candy, you still want to be the selfless girl, don't you? That's where you want to identify, and why not? Because she's selfless, because she's demonstrating a character, and and she's demonstrating a generosity. And it's very winsome, the step that she takes. And in doing so, she actually proves for us Jesus' words, which are these, which say, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. She proves that just in her actions, and we want to follow after those actions. It seems so obvious in the situation of a story such as that. But what can happen is that we grow a little bit older, and all of a sudden what seems so absolutely obvious gets a bit more cloudy, because somehow for us the stakes all of a sudden seems to be, seem to be a bit higher, and so we start to make different choices. Why? Well, we're going to think about that and talk about that concept and that idea today. Today we're continuing on in our Future You sermon series that we started a few weeks back, where we're thinking about who is it that we ultimately want to be? What do we want to have be true of us in the future? Who are the people that we want to be? Understanding that there are some things that we need to do today 
in order to set us up to become those people. Because we don't just automatically become the people that we want to be because we just wished it on a star at one point. We get to become those people because we intentionally set a course there, because we got on a path in the moment that ultimately causes that thing to come about in our life. And today we're going to be thinking about our future you as we think about being generous about thinking about our future financial situation, of thinking who we're becoming as it relates to our finances and where they are and where they are going down the road. We know that in our minds that it's a good thing to be generous. Our bodies even know that. According to Cleveland Clinic, they said that when you're generous towards someone or you give a gift, your brain secretes feel-good chemicals like serotonin, which regulates your mood, and dopamine, which gives you a sense of pleasure, and oxytocin, which creates a sense of connection with others. Yet despite all of that, we still have trouble oftentimes in being those people. And the question is why? Why do we have trouble with that? So what I want to do is I want to, first of all, just get us started by talking about some of the things that can stand in the way of us experiencing a future you that is filled that is exactly who we would desire to be when it comes to this realm where so often so many of us can struggle. So a few things that, of what impedes generosity is where we're going to get started. That's there on your outline. What stands in the way of future you being a generous person and being happy about it? A few things. The first of those things that impedes it is this, scarcity thinking. Scarcity thinking. A person who thinks scarcity thoughts believes that you can never have enough, believes that the, the circumstances that happen and transpire around us in our lives are things that ultimately are probably working against our benefit. They're going to take us off in a direction that is going to be negative for us when it comes to our financial situation. It's actually a very common perspective that lots and lots of people have, but it's also a very dangerous perspective because it always puts us in this situation where we feel that the resources around us have to be grabbed. They need to be guarded. We need to be very skeptical about any person or any circumstance that comes up, anything that comes into our house, because we are pretty sure that something is going to work to steal these things away from me so that I'm going to be in a worse position going forward. It's a crippling and discouraging way to live. And Jesus told a story about a person just like that in Matthew chapter 25. It's called the parable of the talents. And I'm sure that many of you are familiar with it. The story basically goes, the parable goes, that there are these three different people who are each given a sum of money, a talent. Actually, in the, New Te or in the NIV, it talks about them as bags of gold. But one person is given five talents. A talent is just a large, large, large sum of money. Given five talents, the next guy is given two, and the last guy is given one. The one who has the five talents goes out, he invests it, he puts it to use, and he gains five more. The one who has two does the same thing, invests it, puts it to good use, and gains two more. And, and the story, the parable, celebrates them, celebrates what they have done, celebrates their perspective, how they've put it to use. But it's a little bit different for that last person. The last person has a different perspective. And here's his perspective. Here's what he says. He says, I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. What is that? That is scarcity thinking. 
that is thinking that there is going to be something that's going to take it away. If I don't very carefully guard it, if I don't very carefully sit on it, somebody's going to take it away from me because I've got a mindset that says it's always or essentially always going to work out negatively for me instead of considering the idea that there might be a positive future for me when it comes to my resources, to the things that I have. It's scarcity thinking, and that's where he is. However, the master's not very impressed. He says, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him, from the one, and give it to the one who has the ten bags or the ten talents. In this parable, Jesus is the master and you and I are the servants. Jesus is the one who has given gifts and talents and abilities and resources to us. Why? Toward the end that we might put them to use, to the end that we might use them to accomplish God's purposes in our lives and in our world so that he might then replenish those things so that we can continue on that because he oftentimes and typically gets his work done through his people. He is the master. We are the servants. And the problem is that for some of us, when we fall into this scarcity thinking that I just don't have enough, or if I don't carefully guard it, it's going to go away. So we sit on it and we say, no, I'm not going to invest it. I'm going to hang on to it. I'm going to bury it. I'm going to make sure that I hold on to it carefully because I'd, I'd rather have a little without having to do any sort of investment of what I have rather than opening myself up to the greatest possibilities that God has in store for us, even in this realm. What we need to come to understand. It says something about our own mindset when we take that on, and it also says something very important. This is why we need to recognize it, because it tells us exactly what it is that we believe about God, what we believe about His sovereignty, His will, His purposes, His generosity toward us, or His lack thereof. In the case when we feel I've got to be very, very careful with this because if I lose this, there's never going to be any opportunity for anything greater. God's not going to continue to bless. He's not going to continue to lead me positively financially. So that's one thing, scarcity thinking. Another thing that impedes generosity, second factor is indulgent living. It's just what it sounds like. It's a person who sees their finances as a means to indulge themselves and things that they want. Even things, <laughs> even things like perhaps grilled cheese. Here's what I'm talking about. If you want, you can go to New York City, you can go to the Serendipity 3, and you can buy this grilled cheese sandwich. It's called their quintessential grilled cheese sandwich, and it will only cost you $214 for this grilled cheese sandwich. Now, it is a special kind of cheese, and you can see there it's actually dipped in edible gold. $214. That is more than I've paid for every grilled cheese sandwich I've ever had combined in my life. $214. Now, this is such a, such a special sandwich that you actually have to order it 48 hours in advance, which should give you plenty of time to come to your senses and cancel the order. But... If you choose, you can indulge yourself in that way. Now, the quintessential grilled cheese might not be a temptation to you, but there are other things that might be. Maybe trips or, or toys or clothes or cars. or It could really be anything at all. The item itself isn't that important because what we're really talking about is a mindset. 
A mindset that says that the things that I have, I've worked really hard for those things, and I owe myself things, and so I'm to use what I have to indulge myself. And you know what this is really all about. And maybe some of you struggle right in that area. And it's a great danger when you start to see your resources as existing to feed your own self-interest instead of considering what it might look like to be generous with the things that you have been given. Another form of indulgent living is the person who doesn't necessarily indulge themselves in the moment with the things that you've amassed, but rather you try to continue to amass them so that you might indulge yourself for the future. And the thing is that this one can actually trip us up. Sometimes we even we, it gets past our spiritual sensors because it actually looks like you're doing something good. I mean, it looks like you're saving for the future. And what's wrong with that? Nothing wrong with saving for the future. But if the fact is you're just saving toward the future so that you might have more money, that you can indulge yourself in greater ways, that's not saving, that's hoarding, is what that is. There are certainly some worthwhile things to save for, but if your saving for the future is keeping you from being generous in the present, you're on the wrong path. If your saving for the future is keeping you from being generous in the present, you've set yourself up for failure. And you're well down the road of justifying it because it looks like you're doing good stuff. But really, it's just standing in the way of what God's purposes and will would be for you. Now, that's a bit of a surprise, perhaps, because it would seem like indulging your own interests would lead you to a place of happiness, to a place of joy, right? I'm getting all of the things that I want, but it doesn't lead you there. Maybe momentarily you feel a bit of that rush, but ultimately it's not, because ultimately what it's doing is enslaving you. That mindset is enslaving you. Indulgent living makes consumption, whether now or in the future, a primary source of meaning and value in your life. It enslaves you because you need to continually be generating the ability to get more stuff because if you fail to get more stuff, you fail. Because you've already gone on record essentially saying that this is where I find my meaning and I find my value by indulging myself and if so, you're not able to continue to do so, you fail. So you need to keep Keep pushing, and for some it's looked like I need to put in more hours, I need to get a second job, I need to keep bringing in and bringing in and sitting on the things that I have so that I'm able to indulge myself rather than take on the perspective that God would have me to take on. It will leave us chronically dissatisfied. Ecclesiastes 5 puts it like this, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And that could be one of the reasons why people who have who earn between a hundred and five hundred thousand dollars a year that is the least generous group of people of all when it comes to charitable giving those who earn less than fifty thousand dollars a year far 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 exceed generosity percentage-wise of those that earn upwards of half a million dollars a year the reason is because it's not about the amount that you earn it's about a mindset it's about an attitude. It's about the spirit with which you approach it. So don't think that, well, yes, I know, I've, I, I, I'm figuring out a way, I'm justifying not giving anything now because I earn so little. I just don't have the opportunity to do so. But as soon as my income goes up, then I'm going to get on board. Then I'm going to be so generous. No, you won't because it's a mindset. It's not about the amount, it's about a mindset. And we can get stuck in this realm 
And the things that you are practicing now, remember when we talked about habits? The things that you're practicing now are going to be propagated regardless of the amount that you have unless you do something to turn that around. All right, then one more thing that impedes generosity is insecure feelings. Insecure feelings. There are a lot of variables in life that we don't have control over. What if something happens to your health? What if you lose your job? What if you need to get another car? What if the market tanks? What if you lose your investments? What if Matt Canada continues to be the offensive coordinator even next year? There are a lot of things that we think about the future and we wonder about and we can stress about what is coming. And the truth is the future is uncertain and it tempts us to go into this scarcity mode and believe the worst and we make our financial decisions accordingly. And since most of us are oriented fairly conservatively when it comes to our finances, there is never an amount that we get to where we say, ah, that's enough. I've got enough to protect myself against whatever future might happen to come. I've reached that amount, and so now I can start to be generous. You'll never get to that number because the number will keep changing because there's no way that you can know exactly all of the circumstances that are going to come into your life. So how can you possibly prepare for them all unless you just continue to amass more and more and more? So those are some of the factors that can bind us and impede us from being generous. And each of them leaves us operating apart from God. That's the worst piece of it. We're separating ourselves. We're saying, I've got to do this myself. That's the message that we're giving when we refuse to take God at his word when it comes to generosity. So how do we turn that around? There can be a different approach, another way. God can transform that for us. So let's talk secondly about what inspires generosity. What inspires generosity then? The first key to embracing generosity is to think abundantly. This is the opposite of the scarcity mindset that we were talking about a moment ago. The person who thinks abundantly believes that there will be enough to go around, that things aren't going to run out, that God can provide that I can continue to move myself forward financially even once I've chosen to be generous. This is the person that is willing to give, whether it has to do with time or love or finances, money, whatever the case might be. And because we believe that, we don't have to hide or hoard or skeptically guard the things that we have. We can release the things that we have. We can work to bless other people. We can release from the resources that we have so that somebody else might be built up. Do you ever get jealous about somebody else who's succeeding in something? Do you ever find yourself with some sort of resource that you have yourself and you know that it might be able to bless somebody else, but you're not speaking up about it? You're just kind of staying quiet. You're kind of holding it to yourself because you're afraid if you give it to them, then they're going to have it and you're not going to have it. That's scarcity thinking. Abundant thinking turns that in the other direction. Think about those trick-or-treat kids. The boy, he had everything that he could possibly want, and he kept gaining more and more. He was wanting to just supply himself because who knows if there's ever going to be another opportunity And so while there's an opportunity, I need to seize it. I need to get everything that I can get. And I'm not particularly concerned that nobody else is going to get anything. That's scarcity thinking. The girl, that's abundant thinking. I'm willing to let go. I'm willing to bless other people because I'm not stressed over the fact of whether or not I'm going to be provided for myself. That's how it goes in our own spiritual lives as well, of course. 
not having to worry or fear that we're not going to be provided for because God's already made that promise. Remember back in Matthew 25 when we saw this one-talent guy who just sat on all of the things that he had? He was called out (coughs) for that attitude. And Jesus adds this postscript then. Verse 29 says, For whoever has (coughs) will be given more, and they will have an abundance. There's that word. God's economy is an abundance economy. There will always be enough. God is never going to run out. The promises He gives, He will see through to their completion. The fact that He promises that when you engage, when you give, when you serve His purposes through the resources He's placed into your lap, that there's going to be an abundance. He's going to continue to supply. And why wouldn't He? If you're using the things that He has given you for the purposes for which He's given them to you, why wouldn't He continue to cause that to roll over and over and over again? The irony is that the more we hold tightly to the things that we have so that we might feel secure, the less secure we actually are. Because we're stepping outside of God's purposes. We're stepping outside of God's will and choosing to go it essentially alone. So, that's one. Another second factor that inspires generosity is to stop worrying. Good, thanks. To stop worrying. On one occasion when Jesus was teaching about money, something he did a lot, he said this, do not worry. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. The problem with the scarcity mindset is that it worries It worries because it's a primary driving force in our lives because we don't know what's going to happen. That's why we worry. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And the fact is we don't know exactly what is going to happen tomorrow, but neither does the person who thinks abundantly. But they're not worrying. They've figured it out because they understand the perspective from who God is and what God will do. The reason for the worry isn't an unknown future. It's an undeveloped faith. The reason that we stress isn't because the future is unknown. It's because our faith is undeveloped. The reason we worry is because we've decided that the best solution for my future financially is for me to take care of it myself. And when we refuse to follow the pattern that God has given us in terms of generosity, That's exactly what we're saying, that I got to do this myself, which means that at the root of this person's belief system is either that God isn't interested in you or God isn't able to provide for you. That's why we pick it up and do it ourselves, because I think I can do it better than you can, God, because I don't really trust what you might do for me. So instead, I'm going to worry. So Jesus says this, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? But how do you do that? How do you stop worrying? You see, I don't think that we're going to be able to, I'm going to be able to ease ourselves into this position, ease ourselves away from worrying into trust. It's not going to happen, because the longer that we live in the one, the more it pushes away the other. You're probably not living your life as, yeah, I'm I'm like a 50% worrier and a 50% trust. It's probably not you because they negate one another. 
in order for this to actually happen in our lives, to stop worrying and start trusting, there's going to have to be a moment when you just say, I'm going to do it. I've made the decision. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to trust. And I'm going to see how God works in my life as I choose to go all in in this regard. It's the only way there. For some of us, we've been trying for a long time. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to go a little step further and a little step further, but we still allow the worry to crash in, and so we never really make the progress. If you want future you to actually be that person, there's a decision that you need to make today, which is to say, I'm jumping in. And then we can have confidence that that future you is going to come about. But until we do so, we're just going to kind of inch toward the line and back up and toward the line and back up. And down the road, future you is going to be exactly what it is today. Unable to really put your trust in God. Unable to be the generous person that you want to be, like the girl. Because we haven't been willing to make this step today. To draw the line in the sand to say, this is who I'm going to be. So that we can see one day that actually come about in our lives. So, another one here that's tied to learning to trust, to stop worrying, is to start pursuing. Right after Jesus tells the disciples to stop worrying because the Father has it covered, he tells them this. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Imagine if all the time and attention and energy that we give to fretting over our finances was given to pursuing God, where would we be? Where might our spiritual life be today if that was our focus? Instead of trying to manipulate ourselves into financial blessings, we pursued God and let Him do the blessing. That's what He's promising. And I tell you this, His blessing for you is a lot better than your blessing for you. As much as you might be working toward the end of trying to make your life exactly what you want it to be. He tells us to pursue Him and all these things will be added. What things is He talking about? He's talking about food and drink and clothes and all of those things that we stress that we're not going to have in this life if we don't just take care of it ourselves. He says, leave it to me. I've got that covered. You're going to be fine. Walk in my will and my purposes for you and experience the blessing, the root of all of this, is that more than anything else, God wants your heart. Why? Because if God has your heart, He knows that He can release anything into your hands. And then you're going to steward it well. You're going to use it in cooperation and in accordance with what He's given it there to you for in the first place. So start pursuing, He would say. Seek first His kingdom, and all of these things will be added to future you. That's who you'll start to actually become. The decision just doesn't happen there. The decision happens now. And we can watch that blossom ultimately one day into the future you that ultimately we desire to be. Which leads to one last step that inspires generosity, and that's to let go. The reason that our finances are, can be such an all-consuming obsession is because that's the position that we've given it. Money enslaves us because we let it because it's the position that we give to it. There's an interesting little verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 that goes like this. The sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. Saying that the commoner sleeps like a baby, 
that the guy who all is wealthy doesn't get any sleep. Why? Because he's worried about his finances. He's over his money. You can have a scarcity mindset, again, at any income level because it's about a mindset. It's an attitude. It's not about an amount. So here's the thing. The way to break money's grip on you is not to amass as much of it as you can. The way to break money's grip on you is to let go of it. Does that sound counterintuitive? Yeah. It probably sounds a bit counterintuitive, but it's true. The higher value we place on guarding our money, burying our talent, the more that we're going to be enslaved by it. It happens. You probably have circumstances in your life you can point to. I have some. My girls... I'll have to tease me about a time that I got a new car to me and it was, it was nice and beautiful and shiny and it didn't have a ding or a dent on it. And so we'd go to the store and I'd park like half a mile away and we'd walk all the way so that nobody else would park anywhere near me, right? So I'd get no dings on the door. So the girls are like, Daddy, I thought we were going to Walmart. We are, honey. Then why are we parked at KFC? Because nobody else parks at KFC. That's why. Just keep walking. Then eventually, the day happened. Big old ding on the door. And to be honest, it was the best thing that could have happened because it broke the power of that thing over me. Ended up that car, had four accidents, hit three deer, which means I got more deer with that car than most of you have gotten with your rifles. <laughs> the point is that the object had more power over my behavior than it should have had, but that's exactly the same thing that happens with our finances. And the Apostle Paul just nets this out beautifully for us in this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Remember this, he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. The idea of sowing and reaping is perfect as we think about the future you. He who sows sparingly reaps sparingly. What do you want your future to be? You want it to be a sparing future financially? I'm guessing no. Do you want it to be a generous financial future? I'm guessing yes. Well, what's it say? The one who sows generously reaps gener generously. You want the future you do be in a generous circumstance? Absolutely. Then it says right here, you need to sow generously. It's the whole future you idea that we have been talking about. We can't just live for ourselves and disregard God's wisdom when it comes to our generosity and expect the future you is going to thrive. It doesn't happen that way. That's not pursuing wisdom. That's playing the Powerball. I'm going to just invest two bucks, hopefully, and today I'm going to get a, a benefit on that. Two billion. It's not the way that it works. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. That is not some mysterious verse that let's figure out what the Greek really meant there. Whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly. You want a sparing future you? Sow sparingly now. It's not rocket science. You want a generous future you? Sow generously now. 
Paul tries to make it as plain as he possibly can for us. Now, my guess is that this isn't a principle that most of you have, are like sitting there like, man, I've never heard this before. This is great stuff. I'm guessing you probably have. Some of you are living it. And you're experiencing and living out that sort of generosity and you're blessing other people and, and you've been blessing the ministry of the church and people are, are being reached for Jesus because of your generosity. And that's, that's awesome. But it's also possible that you've heard this before and you are saying to yourself, you know, my present you, me, isn't exactly what I would desire to be. I desire that my future me would be better than my present me is in this regard. There's room for growth. Maybe you haven't quite crossed over this bridge yet. Maybe when it comes to tithing or, or some form of grace giving or something else. If you haven't, I'm guessing that it's not because you don't want to. I'm guessing the reason is because you just don't think you can. Back to what we were talking about. You want to be the girl, not the boy in the trick-or-treat story. It's back to what we were talking about. This idea of how do we get there. It's actually not that difficult to come to understand. We're talking about how we have this idea that we just don't have enough to go around. My question is, when we think about this idea, this pursuing this as a future you reality, why not you? Why not you? Do you think that you're going to be the one person that God forgets to fulfill His promise to? Why not you? Why not make this the moment when you choose to trust God and start to live in the freedom of generosity? Try it. See if God just doesn't provide in exactly the way that He promises to do. If you get this right, this is going to be a great blessing to people who are around you who are receiving from your generosity. It's going to be a blessing to places like the church that sees ministry accomplished because of what you've done. It's going to be a blessing to God because of your faithfulness. You know where the greatest blessing of all is going to fall? On you. It's going to fall right on you. The one who benefits most because of your generosity is you because it demonstrates that your heart is aligned with God's purposes and because it transforms future you. But to experience that future bountiful harvest, there needs to be a bountiful sowing that is taking place today. Are you willing to do that? To go there? To live abundantly? to stop worrying, to start pursuing God and His purposes, and all these things will be added to you, to let go. I pray that you are. And if you will, and as you do, your future you is going to say thank you so much for setting me up for an experience that maybe you've longed for for a long time in your life and it just still hasn't happened. But it can. And this is the pattern. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Let us be those people that future you 
look back with great gratitude on the decision you made today. Heavenly Father, this is an area that we have thought about many times. It's an area that is so much wrapped up in who we are and what we do and how we live and how we perceive the world. And, and for some of us, we've been stuck as that one-talent person. There's much that we've been given, but it just doesn't seem like enough. And we're just afraid that if we really start to release when I don't see the completion of all of my financial needs for every year that is to come down the road, we just get stuck. And we haven't been willing to invest and engage. We haven't been willing to actually trust and believe that you will do what you've said you'll do. But Lord, today we're asking, why not me? We believe that you are going to be faithful to your promise. We desire that our future would be aligned with you in financial ways and in ways that we've never been willing to go in the past. We've never been willing to set ourselves up so that our future person is experiencing all of this blessing, and we just keep slogging through. We keep trying to do it ourselves, and we keep stumbling and falling and tripping and, and, and trying to follow you, but just not quite having the confidence that it's going to happen, and we pull it back, and we just do this tug of war. And for some of us, we've been doing this tug of war for years. And it's time to turn a corner. So today, I pray that you, Lord, would speak to our hearts, that you'd convict us and convince us, give us the courage to take the step, to be faithful in responding to your call to engage in and invest in the work of the kingdom. Father, we submit ourselves to that end, asking that you will do in us what you can so that we might experience the greatest future you that you have in store for us. Lord, lead us there. Give us the courage, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.